Hey there, Sam Vanderbilen here, and welcome back to On Your Terms. I'm so excited to bring you this episode today with Mike Pacchione. So just a little backstory. Back in June, I went to the ConvertKit conference. If you listened to episode 54, you heard me talk about just how much I learned at that conference. It was so mind-blowing. So many shifts, so many like big aha moments, so many cool things coming out of the marketing space. And I also attended a workshop that Mike Pacchione, who's a really wonderful and successful and talented speaking coach, um, put on at ConvertKit. And I just thought it was so helpful. Like I attended his talk because I am somebody who's comfortable public speaking, but I don't know if I'm any good at it. And I also have, you know, like a lot, I would just love to be better and improve and see where I could get better. And I would really like to make public speaking a bigger and bigger part of my business. It was something that I was doing before COVID. And then once COVID happened, you know, all the in-person events stopped. And so I was feeling a little like, oh, I don't know where to get started again. And I want to get better at this. And so attending Mike's workshop was just like perfect timing. The other cool thing about it was that, you know, I kind of went into Mike's workshop thinking, okay, he's probably going to teach us like how to not be nervous and like how to, how to like structure your talk and this kind of stuff. Right. But instead his tips were about like body language and using your body, like your physical presence and where you stand on the stage and your voice and pausing in between sentences to allow people to absorb what you're saying. It was so cool. I just learned so much. I thought he was such a cool guy. Um, So I'm just really, really excited to share our conversation with you today. We talked about so much. We talked about, you know, why we thought speaking is important or why Mike thinks speaking is important. Um, What, you know, makes somebody a good speaker, a bad speaker? Can a quote unquote bad speaker become great? I thought that was one of the best things that we talked about. We talked about areas that most speakers need to improve upon and how they go about doing it three tangible things that people can do to make things more entertaining. We talked about, you know, what speaking does for our businesses and storytelling. Um, And we talked about who actually needs to be the most excited person in the room. So I'm really excited to share this with you. Um, Before I get into Mike's uh, official bio and our conversation, I just want to invite you, if you don't already, to sign up for my emails. Um, I get I give um, an email to you all on Monday and typically also on Thursdays, I do a little like legal Q&A session, but my email list is like the best place to be if you want to hear a lot of behind the scenes of what's going on. I email out about like marketing strategies and tips, what's going on on the podcast. I answer people's questions, legal questions for their business. So I have a super simple form that you can click on below and you can fill out to make sure you get my emails. Um, they're super valuable. I really only try to write you when I have something really good to share. Um, but I would absolutely love to see you there. So make sure you sign up for that below. With that, I am so excited to bring you Mike Pacquion today. So Mike Pacquion is an international speaker and speech coach who specializes in helping executives, athletes, and entrepreneurs deliver smart and engaging messages to audiences of all sizes. He has trained more than 10,000 employees from companies like Nike, Microsoft, and Slack. Not so bad, right? So I am so excited to get into this conversation. I hope you enjoy. And please reach out to me on Instagram at Sam Vanderweelen and let me know what you thought of this episode. And while you're at it, shoot Mike a DM on Instagram. He's M-P-A-C-C-M-P-E-C on Instagram. Can't wait to see you on the other side. 
Hey, Mike, thank you so much for coming on On Your Terms. Sam, my new friend, I am stoked to be here. I'm so happy that you're here. Um, I was telling you before we hopped on that I have never gotten so many questions um, for a guest speaker, so I'm really excited. Why do you think that people ask more questions about public speaking than any other guest I've had before? Yeah, that's so funny because I would have a million questions about like accounting or legal, <laughs> but uh, I think because... You know, I've thought a lot about speaking as a practice and how most people don't like it. I'm like, well, why do most people not like it? And I think there's this illusion that the best speakers just roll out of bed, put on their pants one leg at a time, make gold records, and then go out on stage and clean up. And I think most people don't realize that it takes a good amount of work. Mm. So if you don't know that, then you just kind of fall down the cliff of, oh, I'm not good at this. I call this the feel bad for me, right? Like, I'm not good at this. Someone else is better. Feel bad for me. There's a lot that goes into it. And I think a lot of people don't know that. A lot of people wonder about practices for feeling less nervous. And then once you get beyond that, then there are all these questions about like, well, how can I, how can I get better and better and better? And what's really exciting is when people start to like it. And then mm. it's like, how can I excel at this thing? And that's the best because I do think it's a place where it's like, I always tell people this. I stopped playing sports when I started, I stopped playing sports a long time ago. The last time there was any applause for me playing sports is when I was 22. And when I say any applause, that was like eight people on the sideline, <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> it's one of the, it's one of the only places after you graduate college unless you're a pro athlete, it's one of the only places where you can feel the adrenaline rush of performance and applause. And once you move beyond being frightened of it and start to understand what you're doing a little bit, mm -hmm. I mean, it is the best. And the feeling of nailing a speech, walking up the stage and, and not sitting there saying, oh, I forgot this, or oh, I should have said this, or oh, I was too nervous. The feeling of not having any of that and just walking up the stage knowing that you accomplish what you can accomplish, like that is the best. And I love more than anything coaching people to do that. Yeah, that is so cool. I I mean, uh, that's I feel like that about speaking. I'm the same way. Like I just, I get a thrill out of it. So I understand. So speaking of helping people do that, can you tell everybody about what you do and how you help people? Yeah, totally. I help people, you listening to this right now, you've got a great idea in your head. And I help you get that idea out of your head in a way that snaps and crackles and pops with the audience and doesn't just pop at them, but motivates them to do something. And I help you do that better than you can imagine than you could. So I help you with figuring out like creative ways of bringing that idea to life and how to pair that creative idea with slides. It shouldn't be like your slide, your slides should not be your notes, which a lot of people do that. Like slides are treated like a big note card. Your speech should go with the slides, and then we try to coordinate the delivery with that too. And uh, I help people with all three aspects of that. I help you understand it so that you're not just on stage trying to, <laughs> like, you know, trying to be Mike. Like mm. it should be you presenting. It should be Sam presenting. It should be whoever you are listening presenting, not me. But I, I help you do that to the best of your ability, and I help train you for that so that you can keep doing it again and again and again. I'm happy to help people more than once, but the idea is that you work with me one time and then after that, I mean, maybe you need a cleanup, but you're good to go. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. And it's the coolest thing. I mean, when I work with 
I'm thinking of my guy, Neil, Neil Dingra came to me and this guy's like a multimillionaire and he's so boring when he starts. And he told me that he's like, yeah, I, I have no life, <laughs> no life in my presentation. <laughs> and these days he like leads this giant conference and brings Gary V in and people love Gary V, but they also love Neil and, and he's on the same stage and he's not intimidated. And it's the coolest thing in the world to see. So yeah. I'm babbling a little bit, but I just, I love helping people so much. No, that's awesome. I love that you love what you do. And you've helped a couple people here and there. I yeah. was I was joking on uh, Instagram the other day. I said, this guy's really up and cover. He's doing all right. He's helped. He's helped a couple people. <laughs> um, but tell me, like, what were you doing before this? How did you get into speaking coaching? Mm. A lot of people have speech anxiety. I, I never did. Well, let me rewind. The only times I ever had speech anxiety were times when I didn't put the work in. So to me, that it wasn't fair to blame public speaking for that. It's like I didn't. It's the same as not studying for a test. But if I had to then take the test in front of everybody and everybody's like watching me try to like BS an essay, right? Like, yeah, it's the same feeling. It's just not public. So to me, I never blame public speaking for that. I when I was, I mean, when I was in third grade, I used to do show and tell, and everybody looked forward to me. Like you know, there was. I don't want to overdo it. It wasn't quite hushed tones, but you know, people were like, oh, Mike's going now. Let's pay attention. <laughs> I, all the way through college, I experimented with public speaking and different ways of doing it and storytelling. And I, I always loved it when I, I never knew it was something you could do for a career. So to me, the best thing I could do would be to be a professor or to be a teacher and be really interesting. When I got to college, I had this really, really awesome teacher, still teaches there. I went to University of Richmond. Dr. Johnson, Dr. Scott Johnson. And he came into class and he was funny. Like he would make the he, he would make the stories or he would make the content come alive with jokes and stories. And I was like, oh, you can do that. And I mean, that was freshman year. And from that moment on, in the back of my mind, I was like, ah, maybe I should be a college professor. So I went to grad school for that. Learned pretty quickly that being a college professor has little to do with teaching. Yes. <laughs> That's my husband's life. <laughs> oh, I did not know that. Yeah. What amount of time does he spend teaching versus research grading? Two two percent. Yeah, totally. it's like nothing. His whole job's research. Yeah. And I learned that we I had moved across the country. I moved Whoops. all the way to Portland. <laughs> I get there. I'm like, is this is this it? I, I, but I didn't have anything else to do. I mean, this was I was trying to find a plan B, so I just kept going to school. Graduated, got a job, and I was an adjunct on the side. I. I mean, I had like a God smiling on me moment where there was a guy from Nike who sat in on the class, wasn't even in my class, but I was an adjunct. His girlfriend was there. He comes up to me during a break. He says, hey, you're a really engaging presenter. Would you want to present at Nike sometime? <laughs> okay. Does your heart stop? <laughs> I think mine like, would have. <laughs> uh, seems like something I should do. Yeah. At the time, I don't know anything. I don't know if it, I mean, this is, I'm not going to get paid hundred thousand dollars is it gonna be zero what is it gonna be i just knew i should say yes i put together a presentation it was one of the few times i was intimidated by the audience I, not ahead of time but when i got on stage and distinctly remember being there i got spotlight on me they had a chair set out they invited and anybody from nike could have been there phil knight could have been there i guess lebron if he was on campus could have been there i remember looking out and uh like people aren't people weren't like smiling and laughing the way college students were. And I just remember thinking like, am I, should I be entertaining them? It was weird. I had a microphone, you know, like all these things I wasn't used to. And I just, I just let the audience 
defeat me a little bit, even though nobody actually nobody actually said anything. And by all accounts, it went well, but it it, it left me feeling like I could have done more and I could have done better. So from that moment on, I was like, okay, well, but that was fun. What can I do about this? And I, I did a light amount of research. I found this company in the Bay Area called Duarte. Uh, I sent a really good email to the CEO. It was perfect timing. They were they were just expanding their academy. They needed people who understood story, which was me, and they needed people with teaching experience, which was also me. And uh, I, it was it was perfect timing. I worked there for seven years. Went to just about every big company that you can you can name. I did trainings there, flew all over the world. And I just loved it. One of the things that I give myself credit for is because it was it was the same or similar script every single time. Mm. I felt like, okay, well, I can do the thing where I'm presenting and it's just the same every single time and I put no work into it and it still goes well because stuff's really good. But to my credit, I just I always tried to experiment with what would make people understand even more and even more and even more than that and timing things, when to take breaks. Uh, if I change the phrasing on this joke, how would it sound? And from that, I I I feel like I I went in knowing a lot, learned more there, and then the extra stuff that I did on the side really really helped me with things like learning how to tell a story, with things like interacting with slides. Uh, knowing what people's attention spans were like and really better understanding what people's pain points were. That's awesome. Yeah. Long Mm. answer to your question, but I guess my summary of that is when I look at my life, I am, I am a pretty indecisive person, but speaking was like the one realm that always made sense and do it. Yeah. It always made sense. And to me, like it really feels like a calling. That's awesome. It feels like it really it speaks to you. And it, it sounds to me like when you were at University of Richmond that the Professor Johnson like made you realize how transformative the way that you tell a story. Like I could I could tell the same story in a boring way and he could say it in a this dynamic way. And you really took something from it. And so it sounds to me like you really took away like the power of telling a good story, being a dynamic, interesting speaker. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And it- you know, because you do think, I don't know, do you look back, like how many teachers did you have all the way through law school who, forgetting the content, just them as a teacher held your attention? I mean, do you yeah. have anybody? Not not many. I mean, there was maybe one in law school who, um, it's funny because it, it actually touches on something you taught us at the ConvertKit conference, which was that she, she was my torts professor in law school. And so at torts, you're learning like, what is negligence? What's assault and battery? And like all these kind of fun crimes. And so she she would act them out. She would have us act them out. And what? so like, yeah. So like when we would learn, I remember to this day, this is why I remember. Um, I The reason I remember what the self-defense like rules are is because she would have two people stand up at the front of the classroom and like, one person would pretend to like slap the other, but then she would give like a toy gun to the other person. And so like, she, that's how she taught us. Like if someone slaps you, you're not allowed to shoot them in self-defense. Like you could <laughs> slap them back. That's like the equivalent of what self-defense is. <laughs> if someone shoots at you, then you could shoot back. And so she would have us like act this out. And so that was like the only dynamic law school teacher. I can, Everyone else was like, and on page 75. Totally. Like, yeah, it was awful. That's what everybody does. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. what people do in the corporate world. Too. Yes, exactly. Yeah, exactly. But that's amazing. How long ago was that? Yeah, that was in uh, 2009. 
Mm-hmm. 2009, and that yep. stuff still sticks with you. Always. I always remember. I always remember like slap for a slap, like punch for a punch. I remember the whole, and I just remember like what everybody was like, like goofing off and like pretending to like really like shock somebody. It was pretty funny. Yeah. <laughs> but there's just, are not, there are not that many teachers who put that effort in. No. The easiest Shout thing out is, to Professor Mutcherson <laughs> <laughs> at Rutgers. <laughs> so good. Because the easy thing is, here's what the homework was. Yeah. Let's slowly discuss this exact thing that you read already. Yeah. Bring it to mind whether you should have done the reading anyway if we're just going to talk about it in class. And it's really easy to do that in our business too, where like, you know, the people the people who are listening are experts at what they do. And so mm-hmm. people get into a very teachy mindset of like, here are five things you need to know about keto. Like here are 12 things you need to know about lifting in this way, like whatever. And so they they just kind of teach, but they don't, I don't think they keep it more conversational or even like interesting. I don't know. It's it's a little bit flat. It can be. Yeah. Flat. Let's. Can we talk about that for a second? Because mm-hmm. this is one of the things I try to communicate to people. There's a big difference between a blog post and a presentation. Yeah. Because a blog post can be that. Yes. Here are the five things that you need to do. The presentation can also be the five things that you need to do. But you need to come up with a way to make those five things come alive on stage. Otherwise, why why didn't I just read the blog post? Yeah. This is true. Uh, I can understand that. Why do you, by the way, why do you think that's like, why do you think speaking is so important for us? What, for, what does it do for us as, as people or for the people listening or for our businesses? Yeah. I think if you want to live a life on your terms, mm-hmm. title drop. Shout out. <laughs> yeah. I think it's one of the best ways to live a life on your terms. I mean, if you think about it, think about the person, the business person that you aspire to be. I guess it depends a little bit on what you're what your field is. But I think most of the time that's someone who is on a stage mm. and that's not a coincidence because that communicates excellence. If you do well, it ups your perceived value. And frankly, the financial opportunity that comes with speaking on stage is tremendous. Yeah. And I'm not even talking about getting paid to speak necessarily. I mean, that's, that's great. And sometimes people do, you know, there are plenty of people who get paid 10, 20, more than that to speak from stage but a lot of times it's oh well let's take convert kit the conference we went to yeah i don't know how many people went to that conference thinking to themselves i need to learn how to present from stage mm-hmm. but the amount of people that i talked to after my workshop who then wanted to do it it's like way up there and i don't know exactly how much money that'll make for me and I certainly didn't look at that as the reason why I said yes to it. But I mean, it'll definitely be five figures. Yeah, for sure. So did Nathan Barry from ConvertKit give me a check for 10000 to speak on stage? No. Will I make at least that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That happens all the time. If you're an expert in your field and you're speaking from stage, the perceived value of you goes up and up and up. And I think, I think we all know that. And that that's something that, can be a career or it can be a really nice thing on the side, but it certainly helps us to, it helps with marketing ourselves. It helps with business opportunity. And I guess the one thing I haven't said yet is it helps with your own confidence. Mm, That's true. Because there's so much happening when you're on stage. I mean, there's, okay, do I know the content? Do I know the slide order? Am I looking at people? What feedback are they giving me? Hmm. That woman over there looks confused. Should I do something about it? <laughs> How much time do I have left? Like you can, there's a lot going on at the same time, but if you can nail it, it's the best feeling. Yeah. 
Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, yeah, you put yourself in front of the right people. I think I I told you a couple of weeks ago, like I right before COVID, it was one of my biggest speaking opportunities that I had gotten to date. And I still get customers all the time who say, I saw you speak at that conference and I have just been waiting, you know, to purchase or whatever. So it's, it's cool. Um, but I also feel like too, everybody has different expression styles and I have both speaking and writing. So like, I feel like I write differently than I speak. And I, I, I write sometimes more like personal stuff, especially to my email list. And then I like speaking. I like being in that position of like being a bit more entertaining, but also educating and helping somebody to motivate them. So it's, it's different. I think people can find their style that way. So do you feel like you have a different voice on stage versus in writing? Yeah, I feel like it's it's interesting. I, as somebody who just really loves my email list, I feel like I'm always writing these like kind of more emotional, like connectedness, <laughs> uh, like things to them. And on stage, I feel very excited by the idea of like helping, like being up there and helping somebody, motivating them to take the next step. Like I feed off of that energy and I love being in that position. And as I told you, I'm not somebody who likes attention. So I find it interesting that I like to be up there, but I enjoy that, like for some reason, that perspective. That's a funny thing too. I like attention probably three times a year. Yeah. (laughs) On stage. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yeah. 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 If I like win the lottery or something, I'll take that attention. <laughs> like otherwise everyone leave me alone. <laughs> that's how I feel. I'm like, yeah, yeah. That's how I feel. But there's there so actually that's an interesting thing too. So you don't love attention, but you you're good with being on stage. Yeah, because I'm in a position of authority. And I feel like a lot of people not I don't mean like that in like a weird domineering way. Yeah, I mean like right. I feel confident <laughs> in when I'm up there speaking. I'm not like yelling at everybody. But I feel like I know I'm up there and everyone's looking to me because I'm supposed to be the expert. That's what they tell me. But you know, that's I find like if I know what I'm talking about and I'm like comfortable in what I'm talking about, like the substance then I feel very comfortable. But like at my wedding, I ran down the aisle because I did not, I hated the fact that I was looking. Yeah. We both ran down the aisle at our wedding. You did too? Yes. (laughs) I bolted. My poor dad was like, can you slow down? (laughs) I was like, no, we are going to get up there now because everyone is looking at me and I would rather slink away into the darkness, but I can be up on stage and I'm like, in my element. And I think a lot of people feel that way. Like when they're speaking about something that they know. Can I say something that's a little bit off topic, but you gave sure. me a good segue. <laughs> speaking of weddings. Okay. Y'all here's a good reason to rehearse. A lot of people think it's cool to wing it and oh, I'll just get on stage and I'll see what happens. Mm. People love doing that. I think most of the reason, most of the time when people love doing that, it's because to them. So it, it's like back when you're in high school, you tried to memorize a speech and the teacher was in the back of the room with his or her, red pen and if you got a word wrong it's like minus two and i think a lot of us never drop that feeling that's in the back of our head so a way to avoid that feeling is just to wing it because then there's no scripts so there's nothing to get wrong but that is not good for the audience there it's really rare that someone's able to pull that off and if i can connect this to weddings for a minute i sometimes tell this to people and i'm like did you get married yeah like i like i see a wedding ring did you get married yeah uh, tell me what the wedding was like or tell me what the wedding was like. Did, did you, what about the day before? Yeah, we had a rehearsal. I'm like, okay, what was the rehearsal? What did you rehearse? Uh, walking down the aisle, uh, kissing the bride. I'm <laughs> like, okay, so if you're rehearsing walking 
and kissing, two things that and I, I think you're and standing, yeah. Like, oh, and sitting. <laughs> so you rehearse those things, right? Do you think maybe you should rehearse this big presentation in front of a thousand people? Sounds like a good idea. <laughs> that's that's my thought. Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense to me. And so what do you think makes a good speaker? We've talked a lot about like good speakers, but what, what are those qualities? Yeah. So when you say a good speaker, Sam, actually, do you mean, are you talking about the words they say or how they say them or both? That's a good question. I would say like the person who, who reaches the intended effect of the audience, like the, like you want people, like you said in the beginning, like you want people to leave there, like motivating, feeling inspired, learning something like paying attention. So how, like, what are the qualities of a person who can do that? Yeah. Uh, number one, the ability to tell really good stories. It it can't be 45 minutes of stories. Like you do have to connect that to a greater point and everything. But stories, come on, we know this. These are the things that stick with people. Mm-hmm. So if you can tell stories well, and and I have a whole thing about that, but just if you can tell stories well, if you can, if you can ramp up the tension on stories and edit it the right way and describe people quickly and I love helping people with that. If, uh, that is thing number one that jumps to mind for sure. Uh, thing number two is a delivery thing that jumps to mind. The person needs to look like they enjoy being there. Mm-hmm. And I, the advice I always give people is try to find that part of your brain. Even if you've given this talk 74 times, try to find that part of your brain that is absolutely amused with your own material. Mm-hmm. If it's If it's a joke, oh my gosh, this joke is so funny. If it's a point, it's the the mindset that you need to have for that particular point is like this is really insightful and helpful to people. I don't mean that in an egotistical way, but if you if you have a position of my material is helpful to other folks, then the the natural extension of that should be I am excited to share this with you and and looking genuinely or being genuinely enthused about that is is pretty huge. Uh, one of the things I always try to tell people: if you don't seem excited by your own material, there's no way the audience will be. Like, mm-hmm. no I think way. that's a really good uh, tip. I mean, I say the same thing about business stuff all the time: of like, people will play out products that they're not super excited about. It's yeah. like that comes through in your marketing so easily, and so I could definitely see that on stage yeah. too. Yeah, and then, and then the third thing I'll say that jumps to mind, and obviously I could give a hundred, but the mm-hmm. third thing that jumps to mind is it needs to be you. Mm-hmm. So Sam needs to be Sam. When I work with people, I will often write sections of their talk and I'll say, okay, here's what the intro should sound like. But it needs to be Sam talking, not Mike. So Mm. put this in Sam language. And that means not just for you. So I don't know, maybe that means cursing, right? (laughs) Uh, So that that might be it. But it also means some of your quirks are great to share from stage. Mm. Because then the audience feels like they're getting to know you more. It's the same reason why we love podcasts and all these things. It's, yeah. it's not just law. It's law by Sam. Yeah. Yeah. You got to do it on your terms. <laughs> you know, yes, on your own. Ter- We're really plugging the show here. <laughs> 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 Except they're already listening. But yeah. <laughs> um, so I guess on the flip side, then, what are some qualities that make some either a bad speaker or a bad speech itself yeah i think the the first thing that jumps to mind is the speech is too much about the presenter and i mean that Mm. in a couple different ways so that can mean the speech is very braggy which is probably what jumps to mind first but the other thing that that can look like is more the speech you you can tell that the the speaker has overestimated what is at stake 
and they've made it entirely about their own performance rather than about how it feels to the audience. And you see that all the time. Sometimes people will actually say out loud, I am nervous or I don't like public speaking. Okay, so it's the same thing. Like the audience is going to follow whatever emotion you put out there. You you just made the audience real nervous. Yeah. Yeah. I have, like, I have like crippling secondhand embarrassment syndrome. So I get like, I start to like freak out when I see other people are like really nervous and, and are embarrassed. And that actually happened a couple of times at the conference where somebody would say out loud or you could just tell so much from their body yeah. language. And I would just start like, I was like sweating. I couldn't deal with it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I and feel then, for uh, them. Isn't that how you want the audience to feel, right? Yeah, so, I feel for them. And you want to just be like, you got this. Just don't say it out loud. Oh, yeah. It's so funny. My friend Brett once had someone do that for him. Mm. So he, I don't think he ever got us on a stage after this, but <laughs> he was asked to give a speech. He, I don't remember exactly. I don't know if he didn't rehearse or if he just got really nervous what happened, but he had, he's just full on froze. Someone in the audience just shouted out, you've got this, Brett. Oh, that's so nice. It's so nice. It helped him in that day. And I think it was crippling long-term. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Do you think that somebody who's that nervous about getting on stage can overcome it? Or is yeah, there... Yeah, for it, sure. Yeah. So you can yeah. change. Yeah. On my podcast, I had Victoria Harrison. So she's an interesting one. She's married to Scott Harrison, who uh, they... Scott is the founder... I forget what his position is now, but he's the founder of Charity Water. Mm-hmm. And his wife, Victoria, worked there for a long time. She was like lead designer. Scott is the most natural speaker I've ever seen. And as per Victoria, he doesn't rehearse. He just stands up there and goes. He's like, he's like the person who actually is able to do that, whatever yeah. he thinks great speakers do. So she thought, she thought that's just what speakers did. Scott tapped her to speak. I can't remember who the audience was, but like big investors of some sort. Just, hey, Vic, just give an update on X, Y, and Z. She just totally froze. Mm. Scott had to get up there and relieve her. She refers to it as, oh. the, as the incident. So she came up with this whole plan afterwards where she's like, okay, phase one, I am going to stand in front of a group and read to them. That was phase one. Church basement does that for a group. Steadily gives herself a little bit of a bigger challenge, a little bit of a bigger challenge, a little bit of a bigger challenge. This was amazing, but I actually factored into this because I was speaking at an event I left early. I was like, yeah, I got to go rehearse. She's like, rehearse? So when she found out that good speakers actually rehearse, outside of Scott, who is a mutant, uh, when she found that out, then she started rehearsing. And now, like, she loves speaking. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, you can get better for sure. And I think, one, you know, there are a few different ways of doing that. One of them is to, yeah, almost get mad at the version of you that couldn't hack it the first time that, that's one strategy if you're motivated by like yeah spite like i'm gonna i'm gonna overdo this but i think really just treating it as a challenge and trying to get a little bit better and a little bit better and a little bit better here's the thing most people never do that most people just accept their fate when it comes to speaking oh i'm not good at this so the bar for it is really low and if you just implement a little bit at a time hey this week i'm just going to work on sounding a little more interesting this week i'm just going to try to be a little more comfortable this week i'm going to try a story like people don't try this stuff so if you can do anything at all you'd be surprised at how quickly you can clear that bar. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And shout out to Victoria for working at it. Cause that's, that's amazing. And I think that will help a lot of people feel better. And also, you know, I'm always trying to encourage this, like, it's not like manifesting, becoming a better speaker. It's, it's work. And so you have to, you have to say like, I, this is, I want the end result, which is to be on stage or to be a more dynamic speaker or to get, start getting paid to speak or whatever. 
that might mean that there are some things you have to work on. It's not either you like stay at home behind your MacBook or you're like giving a TEDx talk. So there's a lot in between and we can work at it. I also want to encourage everyone to remember that like, this is also why I take such a brick by brick strategy of like everything you do builds on this, like getting on mm. Instagram and talking to your camera and like worrying what people are going to say to you back to that or um, doing Instagram lives or starting a YouTube channel, starting a podcast, writing to your email list. Like that's all starting to express yourself and starting to get comfortable telling your story and teaching and stepping into authority and all of that. Right. It was interesting. So don't you feel like Glow was the best speaker at? Yeah, she was Congress? so good. Yeah, she's so funny. And also, by the way, she was totally entertained by her own speech. She laughed like half the time. I loved it. So that would yeah. be me. I like I would just laugh at myself. And so yeah, I love that. <laughs> I was asking Glow about this, and I said, "Did you ever have a bad speech?" And she said, "Yeah, really." She had a, she had a mortifying one. Right? You would never think that. No. She just owned being on stage, funny, impersonating her mom, all of it. I mm. asked her what made the difference for her, and she actually said something similar to what you just said. Mm. She said doing all the coaching on Zoom, mm -hmm. coaching other people and getting used to hearing her own voice and trying to make points and telling stories. That's what made the difference for her. And yeah. she's phenomenal. Mm -hmm. She speaks twice a month and certainly could speak more if she wanted to. She's also a crazy person that writes a new speech every single time. Yeah, sure. that's so wild. That's so exhausting. Is she was she was great. And yeah, she's totally right. Like, I just don't think that people know how much with everything, whether it's speaking or writing content, filming videos, doing podcasts, how many at-bats there are and how many there are strikeouts and there are fouls and there are singles and doubles and then there are homers. But as everybody sees it as either like, I'm not going to go up to bat or I'm going to hit a homer. There's just like so much in between. And I don't think they realize like, if you want to hit the homer, there's going to be like a ton of singles for a like a lot of them. <laughs> and I, I think people don't realize that even those things, Instagram Live and stuff, that's... Uh, maybe a live is a little bit different, but Instagram stories, TikTok, Reels, a lot of things that you see going viral are not the first draft. Yeah, that too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's, a, it's it's the same thing as speaking where it's, oh my gosh, she's really good at it. You don't know she's been recording for three hours. That was take 17. Mm -hmm. But that happens all the time. Mm -hmm. So yeah. it's it's singles and it's a lot of it's a lot of swing and miss that nobody else saw. Yeah, I could see that. What do you feel like are three areas? Like, I mean, you see a lot of speakers and people who want yeah. to speak more. What do you feel like are three areas that typically need to be improved upon the most? Yeah, so I think one of those is the way that people use their slides. Now, there, mm. there's a couple different versions of that. One I kind of mocked earlier, which is when people put their notes on a slide. I think because of the prevalence of TED Talks and YouTube videos, there's a good population that's begun to see that, oh, this is this is meant to be more than just a note card with bullet points. So phase two of that is being a little more creative, a little more visual, using Canva, things like that. Also very good. But the, the master level, which is what I always try to move people towards, is it's not just using Canva. It's not just being visual, but it's interacting with the slide itself. Mm. So sometimes that's the slide is a character. Sometimes the slide can be part of the joke, but the background, so the slide is helping you to tell the story out loud. Mm. And if you started thinking that way, instead of just, I'm not going to do bullet points or I'm going to find some gifs, gifs, I don't know how you say it. Yeah, I never know. But there were a lot of them at the conference, I noticed, like a totally. lot. And, yeah. and, the, and it's good, but what's even better is if that 
GIF is a joke on its own, or mm. if you say something and the GIF answers it, like using the slide as mm. part of the whole act is a really, really good creative one that not many people do. I see what you mean. That would be really cool. Yeah, I could see I could see that being very impactful. Another one. Okay, so I want to catch this. Everybody says public speaking is the number one fear. I always tell people I don't <laughs> totally trust those studies. I have my joke is that I have difficulty believing that anyone in a den of vipers is just looking around and like, well, it's not getting the Q3 update right now. <laughs> if only I was giving a speech. <laughs> yeah. like, so I really doubt that it's actually the number one fear, but I get mm-hmm. it. People are nervous. But I think I think most people, once you become more confident in yourself, that's no longer a thing. Mm. But what is a thing is that you're only 60 or 70% confident. And you're not 100% there. So said differently, you believe you know your stuff, but you don't believe you're the only person that can give this talk. One of the things that I always try to tell people, you are the only person in the world that can give this talk. Because let's do Sam. You're not the only lawyer, obviously. You're not the only yeah. lawyer from Rutgers, not the only lawyer in New York, not the only lawyer who does, not the only online lawyer, mm-hmm. not the only online lawyer who does contracts, but you are the only online lawyer who does contracts, who's born in Philadelphia and loved her dad that much and has mm-hmm. all those stories. So that, that's that's another place where you have to come alive on stage. But it's also, you just have to believe that. You have to believe that you're the right one to give this talk. Mm-hmm. And I always tell the story, I was presenting at a conference called Think Better, Live Better. It's like four or five years ago. Keep in mind what I do for a job. I am totally confident flying there. I know it's a good speech. I arrive, it's the day before. We're doing like the walkthrough, click through the slides make sure everything looks the right way. Every other speaker at the conference is selling a book in the back. Oh, I remember <laughs> you telling us this, yeah. yeah. <laughs> at this point, I don't even have a website. And I'm just Perfect. thinking to myself like, oh, I can't do this. I don't deserve to be here. I considered whether I should go to the organizer and ask out. But I really did this. I sat there, I was like, no, here's why you're the right one to give this talk. This is my experience. These stories are mine. Nobody else knows these stories. Nobody else can handle them. Uh, I've thought through this. I know how to do the slides. I have X number of years experience doing that. And, and when you start thinking that way and you think of your specific backgrounds, then you can walk out on stage knowing that you were the right person to present. Because mm-hmm. if you're 60% confident, what that means, or 70, 80% confident, what that means is if you get a good crowd, you're going to be fine. Sometimes you don't get a good crowd and you need to be able to believe in it anyway. Hmm. Yeah. Should the crowd's reaction not, not phase you one way or the other or not dictate whether or not your speech is a good speech? I guess that's how I should put it. Yeah. I mean, it should phase you, right? I mean, if the yeah. crowd's laughing Lord. and clapping yeah. and everything <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, that yeah. should be pretty great. And if they're bored, that should, that should matter too. Yeah. I mean, you should adjust to them, but your confidence when you know first sentence that when you deliver on stage, like you need to be delivering that with total confidence. So, I was also thinking like so much of what you shared at ConvertKit was uh, that I thought was really helpful and interesting was about how we use our physical presence on yeah. stage, like our bodies, our voices. So, can you talk to people a little bit about what some of your tips were around that? Yeah, completely. I think I think whether you're presenting virtually, whether you're in the same room with people, regardless, 
And it's like, okay, you're the expert. I've got this great, right now, I've got this great idea in my head. And again, I'm trying to get it to snap and crackle and pop in yours. Well, how can that happen? Sometimes I write it really well, but I can sure help if I use the stage the right way, if I use my voice the right way, if I show the audience, if I, if I highlight with my voice, this is the important part. Mm-hmm. Or if I use the stage. So one of the things you can do on stage, if you're contrasting two different ideas, which a lot of time we are, uh, Sam is contrasting life without contracts and being really nervous and never knowing. Blah, blah, blah. So Sam should just use one side of the stage whenever she's that character. And when she wants to contrast it to the guy who's smartly paid $497 or whatever, <laughs> whatever. Hey, it's cheaper than that. <laughs> oh, is it? Okay. Whatever the, whatever the cost is. It'd be worth four ninety seven, but it, it, using the other side of the stage to show that same exact person, but now they have a contract, and now they can stop exerting all this brain power on things that probably are not why they got into business in the first place. So, using different sides of the stage for something—that's a really big one. But I think the the most effective one, and what I think, I guess, can just be used in most different types of ways, would be your voice, because. That's true whether you're presenting virtually, on the phone, frankly, when you're at a meal. Try either making your voice go really loud or really soft. Mm-hmm. And one of the greatest things is you can make anything sound important if all of a sudden your voice gets softer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, I mean, you really want to go for it, add a pause there, right? Yeah, I, so love... I remember you talked a lot about the pause and the timing. Yeah. That was really interesting. So it's... <clears throat> Okay, ready? I love tacos. Like tacos <laughs> is so important. <laughs> Most important thing in the world. I think everyone can agree with that. <laughs> but yeah, uh, pausing is a really big one. And I think, yeah, let's talk about that for a second. One of the points that I try to make with people, and this is especially true when you're presenting virtually, people have often been told at some point in your public speaking career, you talk too fast. You got to mm. slow it down. Sam, you got to slow it down. It's not actually what they mean. Right now, I am guessing you've got a lot of people listening to this podcast, and I'm guessing at least some of you are listening at 1.25, 1.5, maybe 2x speed, and they're totally able to track with everything. Well, how can that be the case if I talk too fast, or you talk too fast, mm-hmm. or someone, one of your other guests talks too fast? So here's my point. It's not actually you talk too fast. It's that you don't give the audience a chance to catch up. So the TED Talk that I always point people to is Adam Driver. I'm just watch a minute or two of that. Adam Driver, like Kylo Ren from the Star Wars movies. He talks super, super fast, but he pauses and he gives the audience a chance to catch up. And a, a good way that you can implement that is to, what you would naturally do is you, you would write your speech out or you would write your notes out and you would do it in paragraph form. A good way to force yourself to pause a little bit is to write it more like song lyrics. Mm. So that you're, you're naturally taking a pause every like seven or eight words. Because it's almost impossible to speak too fast. Mm. But it's possible to lose the audience if you were speaking fast and you're not giving the audience a chance to catch up. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I remember you saying about pausing and breathing <laughs> would be another thing. It's very difficult to breathe while you talk. It is. Yeah. Do remember so the, the workshop that we did? The last, I called a couple of people up there to speak and Grace was the last one. Yes, she was so funny. She's making me nervous. She wasn't breathing. A lot of people, and for whatever reason, it tends to be women, uh, they don't breathe and you get like, a lot of times you'll see like the red blotches on someone's yeah, get, throat, mm-hmm. probably because they're not breathing. Mm-hmm. 
Yes, we get nervous. I don't know. We got to breathe. <laughs> but it, it, I thought it was helpful when you said that about pausing between senses about take, yeah, like taking a breath not only helped us to do that, but I could also see like for somebody like myself, like what I talk about with legal stuff, it's not feeling as overwhelming either because mm. people have a moment to digest versus <clears throat> me moving on to the next point and they're already have they already haven't digested the first one and then I get into overwhelm with people where they're just like oh there's too much for me to do and I could see a lot of people listening like whatever they teach about it being something similar and pausing or or I like to think of it as just silence silence equals confidence a lot of people think silence equals death silence equals confidence actually yeah do you remember the statistic that I shared in there? Uh, about, spe- about silence? About, uh, no, I don't. Oh, what the heck? This was good. Sam. It's in there somewhere. Mike, there's a lot <laughs> just, going on up there. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. No, so there's a, there's a company called Gong out in San Francisco. They do, they do AI that looks at what makes for successful salespeople. Mm. So they, they look at, they transcribe everything. They look at what makes for successful salespeople versus just regular. And one of the statistics that they shared is that the best salespeople after they give a price are willing to wait i think it's 2.1 seconds in silence versus a more normal oh. salesperson it's like a second or even less which makes sense right because yes. we've all done that where we've given a price and like ah, but, but if you can't afford it it's fine mm-hmm. yeah we like somehow come up with a refinancing plan in the meantime to like yeah. fill the silence yes, totally. <laughs> we're so totally. nervous about totally. it 1997 oh it's too much uh 12 1200 and they're like i was gonna pay that but sure yeah yeah, yeah. but it, it makes sense someone who is confident who knows that they have that they are providing value would be able to say and you get all of that for 1997 yeah. One, 1,000, two, 1,000. What do you think about that, right? Or whatever that follow-up question is. Silence actually equals confidence. It's really hard for people to pause usually. Mm-hmm. It's really hard to be silent. I think a, a good activity that almost everybody can practice is print out song lyrics. Seriously, song lyrics. Print them. Read them out loud in your house. You have to stop at the end of each line. One, mm-hmm. 1,000, two, 1,000, go. I could see that being really hard. Yeah. That's a I think that's a really good tip. And for the sales thing, by the way, since everyone listening probably is having these conversations, mm-hmm. I literally in the beginning when I was I like briefly started a health coaching business. In the beginning, I would say the price and then I would cover my mouth. So I physically didn't talk. I was on the phone, so no one could see me. And then eventually this turned from covering my mouth to squeezing my hand. It was like a signal to myself to be like, just shut up. Like, you know, in Philadelphia, we're not used to being quiet for very long. So like two and a half seconds is like six and a half years Philadelphia time. So I would be like, like, just trying. But yeah, hot tip for anybody who needs it. Don't feel, don't be afraid. Oh, I love that. And you know, that's actually a great speaking tip. Not... Obviously, from stage, you couldn't just... Yeah, cover your mouth. (laughs) Yeah, cover your mouth. But give yourself some... So at places where you feel awkward, it might be the content, it might be naming a price, whatever that is for you, give yourself a premeditated, I am going to do this so that I don't just sit there and blush or get red-faced or whatever your your nervous tell is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, your nervous tell. That's true. Yeah. I I mean, you could probably do something with your hand, like pinch your fingers or something, like something really like small on stage, just a a little signal to yourself, right? Or just one of my, I'm a fan of find someone in the audience that's a friendly face and I am premeditated. I will look at that person. That's cool. That's a good idea. 
doesn't have to be someone you know. Better hope they don't turn on you mid (laughs) mid talk. (laughs) You're like, oh no, I was betting on you, and now you look like you hate me. (laughs) When you have when you have people in the audience that you know, do you like that or do you not like that? I like that, but I think like you, I probably do grab it. Like I, I guess you always notice somebody who looks like they're having a good time. Like they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like this is so helpful. You can tell, and then I'll just be like, now you're, we're like dating now, and I'm just gonna look at you. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! It's so funny. I remember teaching my first class in graduate school, and there was I didn't know how I was gonna do, but there was a student. This is the thing: students don't realize. Maybe this changes when you're like 63 or something, but I'm a teacher and I'm presenting to 19 year olds. It's not like, it's not like I'm fully confident naturally unless I give myself a pep talk. So when students look like they're not enjoying it, your teacher notices that. Anyway, there was a sophomore who seemed to be enjoying my jokes my very first time I ever taught. And I was like, yeah, Naomi. Yeah. Yeah, you just gotta lock it. You gotta find your Naomi out in the audience and yeah. just like lock in. Now you guys are best friends. Yes, totally. yeah. <laughs> yeah. That is that's a good that's a good tip. I could see that. Actually, somebody asked a really good. Well, I'll ask you about it later. But somebody asked me a, a good question about like rituals. But we'll we'll talk about that in mm. a sec. Because I I also wanted you to share like I think that you know there are probably a lot of people who are listening. They're like, this all sounds great, and this is something I want. I want to be in this, but how do I get there? And I know this isn't specifically what you help people do, but like in your experience, how does somebody go from sitting on Instagram and TikTok talking on lives to like starting to get onto stage and to, to try to grow that part of their business. Yeah. I would try to, I would try to get your reps in before a big conference. Yeah. Sometimes people, their big speaking opportunity is a big conference. It's, it's not impossible to make that leap, but it's harder. Yeah. So smaller a, conferences, like. Or even go guest lecture at a university. Mm. I mean, I will tell you as a former adjunct who those people are getting paid probably $1,600 to teach that class. They would love to have a guest speaker. Mm, That's cool. And that speaking to college kids will be more challenging than adults. Yeah. Yeah. So I I just, I, I really think get your reps in, feel what it's like to have people's eyes on you. Feel what it's like to have people reading your slides instead of looking at you being on their phone. Think through, oh, how am I going to handle this? Someone's on their phone. How disrespectful. Because a lot of people just get mad and let it crush them. But go through go through and be a guest lecturer at a college or a small, maybe a small conference or Elks Club type events. Like little things, low stakes things where you can just feel what it's like before you start presenting at bigger conferences. Yeah, that makes sense. That's what I started doing in Philly. I started speaking at, um, I started like hosting workshops at a cafe that would have this kind of like entrepreneurial Ooh, community. So I like got into, like I hosted one and then was like, can I do this again? And I came back like two weeks later and they let me host another and it grew. And then I started doing them like twice a month for like six, eight months. So I got like all these reps in, but also they grew. And then because people attended those, they were like, hey, I know this person that has this like meetup, like this entrepreneurs meetup, for example, in Philly will you come speak at it? And I spoke at that. It was like 40 or 50 people. And then that girl just so happened to start like the biggest conference in Philadelphia at the time for entrepreneurs. So I spoke at that. It was like several hundreds of people. And then I used that like B-roll 
to go apply to Well Summit because I you, there was a requirement yeah. that you had spoken to a certain number of people and that was way bigger. And it just like kept going from there, but also like being on people's podcasts, like, and I, and I was on podcasts that no one listened to in the beginning, then podcasts were a little bit more and just kept going and go. It's like a lot of those reps that we've been talking about. But it's easier than ever to get those reps. And that was yeah, really now. smart what you did. I didn't know I it, that. but I think just if you, like I keep saying, like if you want, if you know that this is what you want to do, like I just think there has to be a lot of this like scrappy, like I know what the end goal, I know I want to be on stage, but like let me just try all these different things and yeah. see how this goes and get better and better at this. And if you are listening and there's got to be somebody who just maybe freaked out a little because, oh shoot. Like I'm skipping a step and now I'm speaking at this conference next month. And Oh yeah, you can do that. <laughs> you can do that. Here, here would be like more than anything else. Here's what I would do to prep. You were probably picturing because you're going to work really hard on this talk and a lot of work into the slides and the story and delivery and that and that. You're expecting everybody to have a big smile on their face from the first moment. But that's not actually what people look like when they're learning. I mean, you, that will happen from time to time, but not everybody in the audience is going to look like that for the entirety of your talk. Yeah. So one of the best things you could do would be to get a picture of someone you know, maybe it's yourself, tape it to a wall in front of you. Sorry, rewind. Picture of them not smiling. Interesting. And be used to giving the talk without like relying on that feedback. Yes. Yeah, the validation. Yeah. Alternately, give it over Zoom to somebody else, but have them turn off their camera. Oh gosh, that would be hard. The whole time I, somebody doesn't have their camera on on Zoom, I've come up with like a whole story in my head about how they like hate me and they're probably miserable and like I, you can't. It makes me so nervous to not be able to see them. Wait, did I tell you this story? My China story? No, I don't think so. Oh my gosh. Okay, <laughs> I was presenting last year to a group in China, and it was a part of China where the bandwidth is terrible, so nobody's on camera. It's China, huge time zone difference. I'm presenting at eleven at night. It's a two hour workshop. My wife is asleep, my son is asleep, my dog is asleep, and right next to me, not a soul is on camera. Culturally, at least this part of China with this company, and I was I was warned this, like, yeah, you're not going to get very much talking. Mm -hmm. People are trained to not ask questions or volunteer something that might make them look like they're wrong. So Sam, nobody's on camera. Makes me sweat like, just thinking about it. <laughs> it's, like, it's like Jimmy Fallon's on, nobody's on camera. Uh, yeah, it's time for Jimmy Fallon to be on. Nobody's on camera. Nobody's talking. I had no evidence that anyone was listening to me. I remember thinking to myself, like, you know, this could be a really elaborate joke. <laughs> no one's even hearing it or uh, laughing. Is anybody hearing this? What occurred to me is that there were there were two different ways I could proceed. So way number one is I could be tentative because I, I don't want to, I don't want to look stupid or worse. I don't want to look like I think this matters when it might not matter to them. So in other words, I don't want to look like I can't read the audience, which, hey, newsflash, I can't because I can't see anybody. Mm -hmm. So that's one way to go forward. And I and I started that way. First half hour, probably I was that way. Two days, two day workshop, two and a half hours. First half hour, real tentative. And something clicked for me where I realized, I said, you know, unless I'm willing to just sign out of this meeting right now, there's no version of presenting this where I get to just leave. Like I have to, I have to deliver this. So I may as well be confident. And that 
totally changed the virtual game for me. I don't care if people are on camera. I did a workshop earlier today, and the person hosting was really, really nice and requested everybody be on camera. There were 152 people in this department. There were maybe four who were on camera. Everybody's tired of being on camera. It's like mm-hmm. two in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. Didn't affect me at all. Because I need to believe in what I'm saying, and I need to I need to just own it. And I feel like I go back to that a lot. But that's also someone who's been speaking for more than a decade. So if it's your first opportunity, I think the, the best way to prepare for that is either zoom off or camera off or like a picture of someone who doesn't look that excited to be there. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure the late night comics have a lot to say about this because during COVID they were speaking to a camera where uh-huh. they're used to getting this yeah. live constant feedback. Right. And they were probably just like, uh, I don't know. I remember them like just being awkward and fun, like dry, like quiet. They would just laugh at themselves. I remember Pete Davidson on mm-hmm. SNL saying out loud this is really weird yeah it is weird it's so <laughs> weird and then, i mean it's, yeah it's just really different for them so i can only imagine um interesting well that's that's super helpful it's also helpful like what i also took away from what you shared was that you are actively thinking about this as you're speaking so that this is a dynamic that you're shifting like as you're speaking it's not just like oh shoot i got nervous and now it's just all down the toilet it was like i'm going to turn this around mid speech yeah, but you also have to train yourself. I wasn't always yeah. like that. You know, like, I think one of the great things about my Duarte years, I get used to every different type of person in the audience. And especially like these real corporate, it's almost always a dude, these real corporate guys at, you can you can probably think of some boring company, really high up. They've been trained to not have a personality. They've been trained to not, I don't mean literally there was a training on it, but just it's been Somehow they've got the message, don't have a personality, don't smile. And I think, I think at first it was it was tentative, Mike. It mm. was, oh, okay, well, they must know this already, da-da-da. But where I eventually got to is I, I I flipped a switch in my brain where when I saw that guy who tried to be on his phone or tried to act like they knew this already, I knew that the stuff that I was delivering mattered. I knew I was really good at delivering it. I knew my own background. So when I saw that, it was like, oh, game on, buddy. Mm-hmm. We're going to get you paying attention. <laughs> it's a challenge. To you. Yeah. 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 And I think because like you love it and it's so it probably feels so natural to you too now. But like you said, with a lot of a lot of practice. So I think you gave the rest of us hope. That's for sure. Um, I also wanted to ask you about the minivan test oh, because yes, we have I not talked about that. that. OK. Sam, do you have friends who have minivans? Yes, I think so. <laughs> do they try to... Like, do they try to sell you on getting a minivan? Not yet. No. You'll get there. <laughs> okay. If you haven't been sold on it, it, almost everybody. So it's like in your 20s, everybody makes fun of a minivan. 30s, people start to turn the tide. 40s, it's like half my friends in minivans. Every one of them sells me on it the same exact way. There are two different words used. Do you know what those are? No. One of the two. Everybody says either it's so practical or it's so reasonable. I know, of course. <laughs> yeah, everyone knows that. Everybody knows are... it's reasonable. <laughs> that, that's not the hang up. <laughs> Everybody knows like giant white shoes are better for your feet too. Yeah. Don't wear those either. <laughs> yep. The minivan test is this. When there is a well-documented argument that everybody uses, you got to go, you got to deliver it in a different way. 
Mm-hmm. Well, you can think of political conversations that are this way. Where some just insert topic here, it's just sold the same exact way every single time. The power of surprising the audience with a minivan pitch that is not just it's reasonable is tremendous. So what if instead I still probably wouldn't buy a minivan, but what if one of my friends instead of just oh it's so reasonable, what if it was like this, Mike? There's going to come a day where you have more than one child and you have a dog and you're trying to carry 18 different things out to the car and you've got your son in one hand, you've got your dog tied around your waist and you're trying to let everybody in the car at the same time. And you've also got like a basketball in there. You're trying to find a place for the, the cooler. Right now you're driving an SUV and there is room for those things, but Every single time you have to play a little bit of Tetris to get in, don't you? Yeah, I do actually. What if that? Well, what if you could just slide the whole door open on both sides, and the kids should could just get in themselves, and there was plenty of room, and you could stuff things here and here and here. Like Sam, that would be a much more effective pitch. Mm. So my point here with the minivan test, when it comes to to presenting, if you have a message or if you have a particular point that everybody sells the same way try to come up with a different direction. I can imagine a lot of people relate to that. How do you how do you recommend to someone that they come up with this different direction? Like do they think like what angles should they think of it as? Like for me, what you just described with the minivan, I'm thinking you went from describing just kind of like banal features of the minivan to like really painting the picture of the mm-hmm. problem that you're running into, which is like classic marketing strategy, right? So it's like that would you recommend approaching it from that point of view? So if nothing else, that, yeah, and that'll, yeah. that'll work almost every time. When I say work, I don't mean people will buy it necessarily, yeah, but people yeah. will at least have that moment of like, oh, Connect that's a good point. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that'll work almost every single time. Uh, another thing that you can do that it's a, a lot, I mean, just sounds so basic. Most people don't ever do it. When I work with people one-on-one, what I will often do is insert topic here and I say, okay, uh, so what do people think you were going to talk about in this presentation? Sometimes we'll test it. We'll actually ask one of their friends or, or someone who'd be a typical audience member and say, okay, uh, Sam is presenting on stage. Here's the name of her topic. What do you think she's going to talk about? Like, what are some things that you expect to hear in a 45-minute presentation? And it's not that that rules out those things, but we at least need to consider whether we need to present that in a different way or we need to have a powerful example or we need mm. to pull the rug out and surprise the audience. Mm. So your starting point is just, what are they expecting? And what would be something that I could do that would surprise them? So surprise, I think, is the key concept there. Mm, Yeah, I like that. I like that. That sounds really cool. I'm sure a lot of people are going to come up with ideas from that. Um, Speaking of the people, they submitted a lot of good (laughs) questions that I want to to ask you. Lauren asked, what is the simplest way to win over a big audience? And what's the quickest way to lose a big audience? Mm. Simplest way to win over a big audience is to be either funny or at least likable at the very beginning. So when I work with people one-on-one, one of the things we obsess over is the very first line. Mm. The first line is usually, hey, it's great to be here. How's everybody doing? Hey, I'm Sam. I'm from Philadelphia. Have you had a cheesesteak before? You wouldn't <laughs> say that, but certain people would. Yeah. So we obsess over it. Some great first lines. And, and listen, I'm not saying it has to be this advanced because the second line matters, right? So Great first line, and then you don't know what to do with it. It's, it's not that helpful. My friend Joel uh, helped with the talk, and his first line was, 
So I was in Antarctica. Whoa. Yeah, that gets oh. your attention. <laughs> yeah, that got my attention. Yeah. My favorite talk that I've given, or at least my favorite first line, you're going to like this. I said, it's a humbling moment when you realize you've turned into an a-hole. <laughs> yeah. And I say a-hole because that's more me. You'd probably yeah. curse, but... No, not that. I don't curse that much. <laughs> Just every once in a while, to the point where we had to label yeah, Explicit. <laughs> yeah, all. you yeah. and Snoop Dogg are in the same... <laughs> I would be honored to be in his company. <laughs> <laughs> but that's... But that's <clears throat> my point there is just you need to really, really focus on the beginning mm-hmm. and doing something that gets your audience to like you. So if you're not a funny person, not everybody's a funny person. I wouldn't recommend trying to be a funny person if you're not. The key to comedy, just so you know, the key to comedy is commitment. That's what Steve Martin says. If you go out there hoping that people will laugh, oh man, that's that's a dicey proposition because mm-hmm. the next 44 minutes, 50 are going to be tough if they didn't mm-hmm. laugh at that first joke. So if those things don't work, it's like, what is what is a narrative that you can begin that declares to the audience that I've thought about you? Mm. That might be as simple as here is my topic. What is something that if I were to remove your pain point, and you, sh- you should actually say what the pain point is, but what's if I were to get rid of this pain point, you would now be able to do. And if you can do that in the first minute of your talk, mm. that's that's a pretty good start. If you can declare to the audience, I've thought about you and I'm trying to help you, that's a pretty good start. That's really cool. And what do you think is the fastest way to lose the audience? Yeah, talk about yourself. Mm, so I start off with a resume. Mm. I had a, this is a, this is a good metaphor to think of. I had a friend who, a college friend who got married on the property, through like a strange sequence of events, he got married on the property of a really famous celebrity, like every single person listening to this knows who this guy is. Out of courtesy, him and his wife invite the guy, but they don't think he's going to show. Well, I wouldn't tell you the story if he didn't show. <laughs> 45 minutes in, guy shows up. I wasn't at this wedding. My friend was. He said, he's like, it was the strangest thing. He said, name of celebrity shows up. Nobody said a word. In fact, the whole room went silent. <laughs> and it was like, it was like the oceans parted. And he just walked to the front of the room. And it was just, we just all expected him to give a speech. And he did. And he started talking about how beautiful the furniture was. And do you know how old this wine is? And have you taken a tour of the property? And did you see this? And did you see this? And did you see this? And you would think, Sam, this guy ends up talking for 10 minutes. You would think somewhere in there, he would talk about, I don't know, congratulations, husband and wife. Nope. Entirely about himself. People don't go to that level at the beginning of a talk necessarily. But a lot of people start with their resume. Yeah. They think they have to establish credibility. Uh-huh. Yeah. So I've been doing this for this many years and uh, I've worked with this client and this guy's really impressive, right? And this and this and this. And I, I get the instinct for that, but there's a there's a much smarter way of doing it, which is to tell a story. And when I say story, I mean like an anecdote or example or just I was working with insert impressive company here or insert impressive person here and tell the rest of that story. And that way you get two for one. And now that story needs to be about the audience. But if you do that, then you're making yourself likable by telling about something the audience can relate to. And you've just declared authority. And that's a that's a much better way to go. Mm, that's really cool. Okay. That's that's helpful. Um, somebody asked, how do I not bore people? What captivates better? Lots of quick details, or sorry, lots of details or a quick, straightforward story. Uh quick 
I assume those are about two different stories, right? Yeah. I mean, they're saying what captivates better, like a story that has a lot of details or a story that's really straightforward. Oh, no, you should get you should do one detail. Mm. I mean, the the worst storytellers are now I know about the worst. If it like picture a bad storyteller in your life, you don't have to mm-hmm. say who it is, but <laughs> they go off on tangents. Right? That's what I think. <laughs> yeah. Right. So what's a tangent sound like? Just all over the place. I probably what's happening to that person is they are remembering details from that story right, as they are telling it. Mm-hmm. So they're they're saying, uh, I was going down the Schuylkill one day and I remember that I had a lemonade in my cup holder. And I heard a hawk go overhead. And as, as the person listening, you're thinking to yourself, okay, lemonade, that's going to matter later. That's going to matter later. Mm. It doesn't matter later. Right? Great. <laughs> it never does. <laughs> so, so a little bit of detail is great. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's great to hear the thoughts that went through your head. It's great to hear one detail about the room that you're in. It's great to hear one detail about the person you're talking to. Mm. So one detail tends to be good, maybe two details. But when you start talking about lemonade and as wearing Argyle socks and why did this pathfinder cut me off? Those things don't matter. But yeah, yeah, okay, that's that's helpful. Uh, my dad, by the way, was the king of um, giving directions. He'd be like, "Sam, do you see the Wawa? The Wawa's coming up on your right. Do you see it? Do you see it?" I'm like, "Yeah, Dad, I see it. I see the Wawa." Okay, that's not it. Keep going. I'd be like, "Well, why did I focus on the Wawa? Like, and now I'm all like disoriented, and I got over in the other lane, and it was like, what? How was the Wawa relevant to the story? It was like that's always what he did. My mom, I remember the first time she gave me directions to drive down the shore. It was the same thing, like a yeah. whole legal pad, and it was like, you will see, da da da. Do not turn. It's like, why do I need to know that? Just tell me where to turn. It's so true. That's really funny. He always did that. I would get like so laser focused on this Wawa and it would end up being nothing. <laughs> um, Natasha asked, this is a good one. She asked for tips for combating nerves or is that part of what makes up, sh- what makes showing up so rewarding? Yeah, you should have some level of nerve. Unless it is a talk that you've given a ton, then, you're, then your nerves will go away. Because you've already proven to yourself, I can deliver this. But if it's a talk you came in first time, second time, third time, and you have nerves, that's not a bad thing. Think about things about time. Think about times in your life when you've been nervous. Sporting events. I was nervous when I proposed. Mm-hmm. Did I think my wife was saying no? Mm-hmm. I mean, it wasn't like wasn't like shooting a three. We've got like a twenty five percent chance. Like we talked about it. And you should, so. My my point is just nerves communicate your nerves can communicate you know something that's stake that's good yeah. that's what that's what propels you to greater performance. That said, I get the question. What you need to do is to rehearse enough that you know it. If it is your first time and you're typically you're nervous, you need to rehearse enough to where you know it inside and out. And then you need need to give yourself. This is going to seem contradictory, but you need to give yourself freedom to not say it the same way that you just rehearsed. Mm. So the rehearsing is just to get it in your brain. The audience has no idea what you're supposed to say. They have no idea what your script sounds like. So once it's in your head, you're not going to forget it at that point. It's in your head. And now you know it well. Now you're on stage. And once you're on stage, you can run with it and take it in any different direction. Here's here's an excerpt if it's helpful. What was the movie called? Oh, Taxi Driver. Mm -hmm. Jodie Foster was all excited to be in that movie. Because De Niro was a legend for his ability to improv. She's super excited. She's like, oh my gosh, I'm going to hear all about this. Shows up the first day. And De Niro just schools her. 
because he knew the script inside and out day one. Uh-huh. It was because he knew it inside and out from day one that allowed him to do all of his ad living. That makes you sense. don't need to know a speech that well, especially someone who's presenting a lot. But if you're first learning it, it would be good to get it in your head in such a way where you're not having to consciously remember the next line while you're looking out at all these people in your audience. Yeah. This is like how I learn recipes. Like I nail recipes so then I know how I can deviate. But if I don't learn yeah. the foundation of the recipe first, I don't even know where I can take a detour. I feel like that's kind of a similar. That's so good. Yeah, yeah. that's perfect comparison. Yeah. When you, Sam, when you present, what is, when you're talking to your audience, like what is literally going through your head? Are you thinking, what is the picture in your head? Are you thinking line to line? Are no, you thinking lies? I'm one what of those you... not rehearsed people oh, that on. loves to wing it. Yep, I know. But you don't wing it, wing it. No, I have like a structure of, of, of what I know I'm going to teach. But I think especially because of what I teach about, it's so like the same, you know, if I'm like talking about a contract, what makes a contract or what makes website policy, it's always the same. So it doesn't really change. The stories can kind of weave throughout. But yeah. I've given a lot more of those kinds of talks. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I think one of the, a smart thing that you've alluded to, I don't know if you've literally done this, but a smart thing you've alluded to is having a bunch of stories in your back pocket that you can pull out at any moment. Yeah. Stories yeah. and examples. And I think actually, you know what? Let's add that to the list. Uh, Natasha, I think you're the one who asked that question. Yeah, she did. One of, one of the things you can do is to get to something, like when you're writing a talk, start with something that feels really comfortable to you because that, uh, that'll get rid of some of your nerves. A lot of times that's a, that's a story. Yeah. So a story that you feel that you feel comfortable telling or that the story <laughs> itself kind of puts you at ease. Well, probably both, but the, certainly the first part that you feel comfortable telling. Yeah. Something that you feel confident will just shake you out of the little funk that only happens when you are overthinking how important the talk is. Mm, okay. That's super helpful. All right. And I think Natasha's last question is a good one to end on because I I can imagine you have some good tips for this for for clients that you've worked with. What are your pre and post speaking rituals or ones that you recommend to people? Yeah, I always give a pep talk to when I work one on one with people. I always give people a pep talk the night before, and I declare to them some of the things we talked about. Why you're the right person to give this talk. I worked with. I can't remember if you're, I know you're a football fan, but like mm-hmm. just Eagles or do you know? Packers too. Yeah, I know more broadly. Yeah. Wait, you know the Packers too? Yeah, because Ryan's from Wisconsin. Oh my God. Okay. So you need to ask him. I worked with this guy, Brandon Bostic. Is that name familiar? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know who that is? Yeah, I know. I've heard of him. Yeah. Okay. So Brandon is an amazing human who had a bad play. And because of that bad play, he got a, he got a lot of hate mail and all these things. and stop loving football but he's doing great things now and his his talk is about coming out of that mm. he was presenting at a conference he had never spoken at a conference before and i had this little like uh yeah but do i still need to do this pep talk thing like this guy's played in the nfc championship Sixty thousand people at crazy safe or whatever the seahawks stadium is called mm-hmm. 12th man and all this i'm like does he really need this pep talk? Decided I should give it to him. And he talked about it. I mean, he said the night before, he's like, this, this feels like tomorrow is game day. Oh. Guy who played in the NFL, 
been in the NFC Championship game. And, you know, he told me that he got a little nervous there. So all of this to say, you need to come up. If you don't have Mike coaching, you need to come up with your own reason why this talk is going to go well. Mm. Why you're the right person to give this talk. I find myself actually repeating those things backstage. I'm also listening to music. I listen to pump-up music. I mean, I I rehearsed the night before. I rehearsed with pump-up music on. When I said pump-up music, I mean, like, the same stuff I would use on a run. Yeah. Uh, because that that gets my heart rate up and that gets me excited. Like you should be excited when you go out on stage. When it's the person I'd never watched the person before me speak. Heck mm. no, that'll just. But <clears throat> I'm backstage. There have been times I've done the whole like Wonder Woman pose thing backstage. Nobody else is back there. Do whatever you want. But mostly, I am focusing on why this is going to go well. Mm. And then after after the talk, because the talk will go well. I mean, if you if you've put the work in. I mean, obviously, if you've worked with me, it'll go well. But even like if you haven't, sometimes speeches don't go well. They rarely go as poorly as you think they do. Mm-hmm. It's understandable if they don't go as well as you want them to. But you should still take time to write down the things that you felt like were best, whether that's in an individual line, whether it's a whole story, particular side. The thing where you felt like you were in flow, that's what you should really focus on after the talk. Mm. sometimes you're lucky enough a whole talk was info sometimes it might have only been 30 seconds but that's what the focus on and why that happens so that next time you deliver we've got we've got a place to start from yeah it's like muscle memory mm-hmm. yeah. yeah yeah that's awesome that's that's really helpful well this has been so much fun i could talk to you all day um but i no. also think it would be helpful for you to tell everybody how they can find you contact you where they can learn more from you and work with you obviously yeah totally so Website is bestspeech.co. There you can sign up for a free resource that I think is super helpful, where we will send you a series of emails that are the seven traits of the best speaker at every conference. Basically, it's the stuff that you need to nail to be the person that everybody remembers. I've got a podcast that I love, the Best Speech Podcast. Almost always interviews. One of the things that's kind of cool that we do from time to time is we'll play someone's whole talk and then we'll interview them and say, hey, what were you... Yeah, it's cool. Like, what were you thinking at this part? Why did you do it this way? Is there anything you wish you had done differently? So love being able to do that. And then my products, I mean, I love working with people one-on-one. The other thing that I love that we'll start recruiting again in October is what I call Speech Club. So that is for people who want to up-level their, their speaking. And uh, the promise at the end of that is you will have a battle-tested talk that you've received feedback on already. You've got the stories ironed out, or at least you know what to iron out so that you can go on stage knowing already that it's good. Wouldn't that be the best feeling? Instead of going out there and you're like, oh, I hope they laugh. You already <laughs> know, they'll laugh. I ran it by people already. So these are all things that I love. Obviously, I love doing all this. And I have loved talking to you, Sam. My old friends. I feel I like know, we're friends right? from like I third know. grade or something. I know. You're the best. I'm just so glad that you did this. I think people are going to get so much out of it. Um, and it's cool that when this uh, episode comes out, then your group program will be starting soon. So yeah. guys, reach out to Mike and if uh, you want to learn. But I also could imagine people are going to learn a lot from listening to your podcast because hearing that yeah. in real time is going to be really helpful. Yeah, yeah, it's super cool. Thank I've you so much for doing, doing this. Sam, thanks for having me. You're the best. Thanks so much for listening to the On Your Terms podcast. Make sure to follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen to podcasts. 
You can also check out all of our podcast episodes, show notes, links, and more at samvanderreelen.com slash podcast. You can learn more about legally protecting your business and take my free legal workshop, Five Steps to Legally Protect and Grow Your Online Business at samvanderreelen.com. And to stay connected and follow along, follow me on Instagram at samvanderreelen and send me a DM to say hi. 